Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing okay? I think you could probably pick up from the theme of uh, that video what we're going to be talking about today. Um, We're going to be talking about God's discipline. Man, how exciting. (laughs) Are you excited today? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) I don't know what to do with my keys here, but I can't sit on them. I, uh, I would like to say I sustained a back injury yesterday from some godly practice, but uh, it was merely a hockey game that did it in for me. So I'm going to see how much I can walk around, but it's not very good. Um, pray for Creekside this morning. They lost last night in a doozy of a game, and uh, I hope they're meeting this morning. They're pretty embarrassed. If you're unsure with churches in the area, Creekside's another church. We played them last night, and and, uh, I mean, we played. They showed up. (laughs) Ken Taylor, the pastor there, he's our neighbor, essentially, in our neighborhood, and so I'll have to go by and apologize today at some point, and I'm going to stop this dry humor now, and I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to jump into it. Does that sound good? All right. Jesus, thank you for uh, this opportunity to come here this morning and, and to hear from your word. Lord, we, uh, we just welcome your word into our life, and we, we open ourselves up because um, sometimes we hear things that we like, and sometimes we hear the things that we don't like, but all of this is meant to build us up in you. And so, God, I pray for the bits that we like today and the bits that we don't like, that, God, you would be glorified in your name. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm not going to give up just quite yet, so this is, this is good, but if I need it, I'll bring it back. Um, I, last week, we, we ended off on a, uh, on, a, on a good front. Who was here last week um, by show of hands? Absolutely. And uh, I don't know about you, but I walked away fairly encouraged by what God's Word had to say about us as His children and about Him being our Father. And uh, it's one of these things that uh, as we talked about last week, and if you missed last week, the one thing that you need to take away is that God as our Father does not treat us as often a lot of our fathers do and have here on earth, but it's actually a different thing altogether. It's a different way. And one of the most important things that I've had to learn throughout my life, and hopefully for those of us in the room right now, um, we began to realize last week, is that it's easy if we have a father that's, that's not that great and has actually been kind of, uh, you know, tumultuous in, in, in their parenting or whatever else, abusive or absent or something like that, it's easy to know, okay, God, God as a father certainly can't be like that. Um, but there's going to be a lot of like, like openness and, and opening that we need to do in our spirits and our lives to be able to receive what God has for us. But for those of us that grow up with an okay father or an okay parents, that is something that's actually going to take some extra work from us, isn't it? Because for those of us that grew up with okay parents, pretty good parents, not, you know, not a lot to say about our parents, it was great. I mean, even those parents, unfortunately, aren't perfect. And there's actually some level of undoing that we need to do in order to receive what God actually has for us because it's still not perfect. But we, we ended off with this very encouraging verse out of Exodus 34. Exodus 34, verse 6 
is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible, and it describes the character of God. And we were really encouraged by this. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And that's where we stopped. And then I was like, don't look at the rest of the verse. We're going to deal with that at some point. And you're probably like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, that's a pretty difficult verse to deal with. It goes on to say, yes, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And then it goes into this. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He, f he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, what an encouraging place to pick up our teaching today to encourage us into the future. And it's like, you know, this is exactly what we expect of Scripture, right? For some of us, we're like, this is what I fear about God is that, that we get roped in by love language and get roped in by God as a good father and we get roped in by all this stuff. But then it comes to verses like this and it says that he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And it would be easier for me to just kind of like show up today and just be like, you know what, yesterday that part, or, or last week that part was real, this part, nah, you know, it's, you know, take it or leave it, it's, it's, it's kind of up to you what you want to do with this. But the reality is, is that we need to accept all of scripture, okay? Like we live in a generation that often wants to pick and choose what's right for them. And so we would go throughout scripture, and, and I don't know how many times I've been in a Christian community where someone's like, what's your favorite verse? As if like... We can isolate one verse out of, this, out of the Bible as like, that's our verse, that's my verse for my life. And it's like, that's impossible. Every verse is found within context that gives meaning and actual uh, uh, anchor, it anchors it in the rest of scripture. And so a verse like this is like, man, like we could have walked away last week and been like, wow, God is compassionate, he is gracious, he is loving, he, is, he, he forgives sin, wickedness, and rebellion, that's amazing. But when we get to this verse, we actually can't divide the two. They actually mean something together. Now, this isn't the bait and switch of the message. We're not going to like, some, I'm not, you're not going to walk away from this like, man, the way that I felt last week was awesome. The way that I feel this week is terrible. Hopefully next week, and it's just this emotional roller coaster. No, I want to break this down for us because God's discipline is actually something that we need to understand as we walk through this series called Child Again, where we start to understand our, our design as children, as God's children. Um, uh, as God's children. And actually, I was just looking at you guys right here. That's a terrible view, isn't it? You guys get to look at the camera. And I got distracted by that. Is it okay? Like, it's actually better. When we don't have to see your face, it's a little bit more bearable on Sundays. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, you know, I, um, I was reflecting when it comes to discipline. I told you a story about um, some aspect of discipline that I was given as a child growing up and, and uh, the last time I got spanked. And again, uh, not condoning spanking, not speaking against it, just just setting a story before you, okay? Just that neutral, neutral, okay. Uh, I was thinking about another one this past week because I was thinking about like, like the Father's discipline in our life is meant to build us up. In fact, it's meant to reflect these first few verses of this passage where it is talking about his love and his faithfulness and his, and his abounding grace and all the rest of these things. It's meant to actually reflect that and the discipline is not divorced from that. In fact, it's a reinforcement of that. And I remember one time, I was probably 10, uh, maybe 11, maybe 12, maybe 13, who knows? So, you know, just a, a small little range there of, of ages. 
and we were, in, we were on vacation in Florida at my grandparents' trailer park. They are, or were, snowbirds, and so they'd go down to uh, the States every single winter, vacate the snow, and they lived in this, like, trailer park, and it was awesome. It was beautiful. I loved it. It was one of my favorite places growing up. And we would stay in these little cabins on, uh, on the trailer park. It was like for people that were related to people that stayed there and whatever else. And I remember my brother and I were getting into some uh, argument. Uh, some argument. I can't really remember our, the argument. But what I do remember is it left me on top of my brother with his arms pinned uh, by both of my knees. And I'm on top of him. And I'm, and I'm squeezing and pinching his cheeks and kind of like talking to him like a little child. I was like, oh, you're so cute. And I'm like, I mean, it's funny to picture now because now my brother's like a grown adult. And like, I'm like, what was I thinking, right? So there I am, and I'm just kind of like, and my brother has this little thing in him, which if you've ever, ever met my brother, he's just like the kindest person. Like he kind of just like walks around. He's the most carefree person. He's like really loving. And uh, he doesn't really like say a mean thing, but he's just kind of like, whatever. And so uh, the thing you also need to know about my brother is that's not the entirety of his personality. I, that, I, in fact, if I'm going to hold the mic, I'm going to tell you about the whole of his personality, okay? He has, has no ability to defend himself, and that's okay. So uh, I'm holding him down, and Taylor has a breaking point. And I always knew this as the older brother, that like, if I pushed him to the breaking point, fireworks would ensue, and I would get a great show, and it, all, the, all the oldest kids in the room are like, yeah, totally know what you mean. Like, like, one of the joys of being the oldest kid growing up was every once in a while pushing your sibling to the edge and being like, watch the show unfold. Just wind them up and let them go. And, and like, this is sometimes, and it sounds bad now, and I would never do this now. And all the youngest kids in the room and younger siblings are like, oh my gosh, like, I, no respect for you. I, like you're bringing back bad memories. So I just remember, I'm pinching his cheeks on And I don't know why I sounded like that, but I'm doing it. And all of a sudden, my brother gains Herculean strength. No word of a lie. I've never seen the kid this strong ever. And all of a sudden, I'm on his arms, and he just emerges. And at this moment, I realize it, it didn't take him very long to get to the point that I thought was going to take him much longer. And next thing you know it, no word of a lie, I am flying backwards through the air in this small cabin off the bed. I, like, I fly at least six feet backwards because my brother is just so mad. And he throws me. And at the exact moment, my dad goes, hey, guys, how's it? And I'm flying through the air. And so I land on the ground. And I'm like, I can't believe you would do that, Dad. You know, it's just like immediate. Anyway. And I just remember my dad walking in so upset, so frustrated, so angry. And he didn't know what to do because we're in this, you know, this trailer park with seniors everywhere. And we don't want to make a big stink. And it's just a small little cabin tucked into all of these other trailers. And he's trying to regain his composure. And so the only thing he can tell us to do is write notes. Or not write notes, write lines. And so we go, okay, how, what are we going to write lines on? This immediately the two of us pair up against my father. And he goes, I don't know, like paper, like just anything. And I remember that day walking away um, and, and my dad walking away and us being left with paper plates because it's all he could find. And there we sat for the next two hours writing lines on paper plates. I'll never forget that memory. And it's funny because 
you know, often we'll be reminiscing about things as kids and, and we'll be at like family reunions or like maybe just Thanksgiving or Christmas and that sort of thing. And this has got to annoy parents that are empty nesters with grown kids that come home because we're always reminiscing on the times that mom and dad disciplined us and we're like, oh, remember that time, remember that time. And we're never like really reminiscing on those moments that are like, you know, like, wasn't this so great? It's always like just, and I can only imagine that it was frustrating, but for some reason, moments of discipline stand out to us as formative moments in who we are today. You know, that day, in fact, for me, I realized, like, I got to stop pushing my brother to that limit. I think my dad took me away, had a little chat with me, and I realized I have to stop this. Discipline is another way that God actually loves us. The Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. All of that is true. Yet part of God's love is that he also does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. Hebrews 12, 4 to 13 says it this way. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement and the address uh, that addresses you as, uh, as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, my daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and, ch and he chastens everyone he accepts as his child. See, encouragement to us today is that parents who discipline are actually parents that love their children. Now, we're not talking about discipline that goes overboard. We're not talking about discipline that, that evolves into abusiveness. We're not talking about discipline that doesn't meet, it, you know, that um, justice is treating each thing as it ought to be treated. Injustice is not treating each thing as it ought to be treated. So there's a way to discipline that goes overboard that becomes unjust, unjust in the moment. But what we are talking about here, my child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his child. This is an encouragement to us because what it means is that the Father, our Father in heaven, is actually really accepting us as children. And he's not just accepting us with all the good parts, he's accepting us with all of the bad parts in between. You see, a lot of us, we go, we're only acceptable to God in our perfect state. But what this verse is showing us is that, no, God is also willing to accept us in our imperfect state. There's no reason for a loving father to discipline someone unless they are imperfect. This is one of those things that as we walk around with the guilt of our actions and wondering, well, maybe God loves me to a point, which is not something most of us say consciously, but it's something that we live with subconsciously. Because for so many of us, we can hear a message like we did last week where God is compassionate and abounding in love and faithfulness, and we can hear this and it can be encouraging, and we think of this idea that we can wake up with God and understand that he's not holding things against us, but we can wake up in his mercy and his grace and his love but for many of us, if we're being completely honest, our relationship with God has still suffered this past week because there's so much angst around the way that we actually are with God that it actually keeps us from living in freedom with Him throughout the week. For so many of us, when it comes to sin, our first response is not to run to the Father, but it is to cower from the Father. In our darkness, in, a, in, in the darkness of our sin, in the action of our sin, for a lot of us in the room, the first response of us is not to run to the Father, it's to protect ourselves. 
It's to, it's to make up for the wrong that we've done. It's to try to, try to like keep ourselves protected while we work out whatever sin issue that was so that we can come back into the Father's presence. And yet it says that the Father is the one that wants to do the disciplining. Okay, so what does this mean? Because if God is going to meet us with equal, um, equal uh, discipline for the action that we have, well, how does this actually work itself out in a verse that says that he disciplines, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third. Because that sounds like overboard, doesn't it? And these are the kind of verses that when people are reading them in, in culture today, that we go, yeah, I'm God's child. And then they read stuff like this and we're like, I don't know what that means, but like he loves me. And yet the frustrating thing is, is that we kind of like in the back of our minds, in the background of our minds, as we start to go throughout life and we pick these things up, it becomes very difficult to live out with a, with a freedom of conscience uh, while, while, while holding some of these things in tension that we don't completely understand. What does it mean that God punishes uh, children and their children to the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation? Okay, before I even begin to break this open, it is important to understand that we live in a, in a society that is juxtaposed. And this is the juxtaposition of society. On one hand, our society does not want to talk about sin. It wants nothing to do with it. The language surrounding it, the consequences of it, the, um, the way that it is tied to religion so often, the way that it, it so often uh, encapsulates a deity that they have to respond to. Our, our, our society that we live in right now does not like the topic of sin. In fact, a lot of us in the room, like who, who in the room like your favorite topic of sin? Like, you know what? There's one thing that wakes me up in the morning. It's thinking about sin. Not the acts of sin, just like sin in general. I love it. I study it. No, no, no. It's not something that we, but it's not even something we like to talk about. It's not even that it's not our favorite. It's something that we just like, we, we, kind, of, we kind of want to get away from. But on the other side, we live in a society. So if we live in a society that doesn't like to talk about sin, doesn't like objective sin, doesn't like these things. On the other side, we also live in a society that demands justice. And the problem is, is that it demands justice without having a clear measuring stick for what justice is measuring against. There is no, in fact, what has become sin is, is whatever displeases me. What, it, what, is, what has happened is we've moved away from objectiveness into subjectiveness, and now we don't just have a, an objective yardstick and ruler and measurement for what is right and what is wrong. What we have is we actually have seven billion um, uh, ideas walking around of what right and wrong are. And so we demand justice, but we don't like sin. And what we get caught in the middle of is that we get caught in the middle of when we approach passages like this, we start to cower from it because we think that the world can't handle verses like this. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And the reason that we don't like this stuff is because our society doesn't like sin. It wants justice. And it already has a view that God is an angry God. But is there a way that this passage actually brings us into a greater understanding of what, what it means to be a child of God and his love and understanding and actually gives us a more consistent way to walk in this world? I would suggest yes. Because what this verse is really talking about is that God is a just God. He's not, he's not an unjust God. He's not an unjust God. He's not one that is trying to... Um, uh, punish us unproportionately for our sin 
as a bad parent might do. No, no, no. What he's trying to do is bring justice to the world. That's good news to a world that wants justice. But the good news starts in that verse where it says, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. See, our God is a forgiving God. In the midst of applying justice, our God is also a forgiving God. And this is why we have examples throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament where God's God's um, frustration with his creation, frustration with sin that has is, that is raised its ugly head once again, that once that raises up, we have examples over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament where people of God, people with the character of God in them, will approach God and say, God, will you forgive these people? Will you not punish them like you want to? And God actually relinquishes and doesn't punish the people as he intends to punish them. This is because we serve a forgiving God. Now that's important because if we're talking about children and children, like a lot of us, we walk into the room and one of the reasons that we struggle with an identity of being a child of God is because our identity as children of an earthly set of parents or maybe an earthly set of absent parents, one of the things that we struggle with is that we feel we're under some level of a generational curse. Like, is this language you've heard in the church before? Like, generational curse, we're, we're under these things. And even if you don't have language for things like generational curse or that sort of thing, a lot of us will reflect on what our parents have struggled with and we'll go, that's exactly what I'm struggling with. And so when we hear a passage like this, we go, there it is again. I can't seem to escape the sins of my parents. And in some way, that is exactly what this verse is talking about. Not as much that God is seeking to punish you for what your parents have done, but rather that we live in the effects of what our parents have done. Again, we live in a society that doesn't want to call sin, sin, but also wants justice. The problem is, is that things like divorce really wreak havoc on children today. We want to, we want to somehow present a, a, a society with a packaged idea that divorce doesn't impact anybody and actually it can be good for children. And you, what we see is that there are children of divorce even in this room that we go, listen, it wasn't a great thing. Like, like that actually harmed me and we live in the effects of sin and that is some of what Jesus is talking about. If we live with parents that are addicted to drugs or that sort of thing, yeah, we might not be addicted to drugs, but we might actually be dealing with some of the effects of absentee parenting. We might be dealing with uh, some level of addiction ourselves. If we grew up in families where there was just anger in the home, we might be wondering why is it that I can't keep calm with my coworkers or with my children or with the people around me and why is this? Because we pick up the effects of sin from our parents before us and their parents before them. And what this verse is pointing at is that children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and the fourth generation is that there will be an effect for sin because sin is something that actually needs justice. This is the Christian worldview that says, yes, sin is really a thing, but justice gets paid. And when justice gets paid, that's when we can walk out from the effects of sin. This is why Jesus came. To die on the cross to pay the, 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 the price for sin, appease justice, so that we could walk in freedom. You notice here that when we read through this passage, it says that the Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Do you pick this up? 
the ver- th- this passage, and I don't have time to get into original language or sentence structure or the, the, um, the poem in which this was actually written, but I can point this out for us today with brevity, and it's this. That when it talks about God's love, it talks about him maintaining love to thousands. And then when it talks about his discipline, it talks about the third and fourth generation. Now, one thing we need to understand is that we, in our English um, translations of the Bible, we throw in the word generation to encapsulate what the idea of what God's trying to talk about is. The only reason that it's not used when we read earlier in verse 7, maintaining love to thousands, is because in the original translations, people would have understood what this means. And so you could either add it to both of these passages, maintaining love to thousands, but keeping it accountable, children to the sin of the parents to the third and fourth, or we can add it to both and say maintaining love to thousands of generations, but doesn't leave the guilty unpunished, and punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and the fourth generation. See, what's happening here is that, yes, God is a just God, and yes, sin doesn't go unpunished. And one of the ways in which we as children of God can go without the punishment that we deserve is by receiving the price for justice that God already paid, that Jesus paid on the the cross for our sin. But one of the other things that's happening here is that this verse is actually exemplifying the love of God. That while in the midst of our sin and our wickedness and our rebellion that God will forgive to thousands of generations, he only counts it to the third or fourth. This is to say that God is way more forgiving than he is just. Way more, for, sorry, way more forgiving, way more forgiving than he is punishing. All of that is encapsulated within the idea of justice. That while we might expect that we are still living under the curse of our parents, that all we must do is turn to the gracious God, and he will actually release us from that sin. He will release us from the effects of those sins. See, one of the incredible things about our scriptures is that it leaves room for both um, sin having a price attached to it, while having sin being able to be paid for by God himself. And this is often what we, we get caught in the middle of as people of God. This is often what we, get, what, what we get confused on when it comes to passages like this, is that sometimes we don't understand that God is far more merciful than we ever thought, and yet his standards are the same throughout all the generations. In fact, last night, just having a conversation with somebody, and they go, yeah, I just struggle because I'm upsetting God with all of the sin. And it's like, yes, sin upsets God. But when you accept what Jesus did for you on a cross, he doesn't look at you as your sin. He looks at you as his child. And what happens there is that, yes, there is still effects for sin. But what God is doing is he is forgiving us for that sin. That while there is effects of sin that will carry out from generation to generation to generation, There is a God who says, hey, if you just turn to me, I will forgive you from those things. And you might need to struggle with some of the the effects of your your parents' sin because they they were absent and all the rest. But by finding yourself in me, you can find rest for your souls. Quite honestly, when when I think about sin and I think about the 
weird juxtaposition of, yes, there is a standard. Yes, it has been paid for. Yes, there are still effects of sin. But no, we don't have to feel the full brunt of those things. We can actually approach the Father. It leaves me feeling tired. It leaves me feeling restless. It leaves me feeling like, okay, what? Like, how do I, how do I just... God is far more forgiving than he is punishing. Well, then how do I find myself on the side of forgiveness? How do I find myself on the side of his rest? And I think for a lot of us that are wearing the weight and bearing the weight of the sin around us and our sin and the sin of others around us, it's why we take such hope and satisfaction in verses like Matthew chapter 11, 25 to 30. It says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Not, not some random little child, not some, like, like so often we read these passages and we, we, we assume the position that God is talking to somebody else. Because you have hidden these things from the wise and unlearned and revealed them to little children. Hey, the moment that you received Jesus, the, remote, the moment that you became a child, you are those little children that he's revealed this to. This isn't an abstract idea like, okay, who are the children? No, no, no. You are those children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then it gets onto one of these verses that so often we like to, 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 you know, copy and paste right out of the Bible into our Instagrams and post because this is, a, this is a life verse for me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, in all this talk about God's discipline and whatever else, if I've lost you at some point and you're just like, okay, I'm starting to understand this, but it's still not quite clear. This is the part that might come home for you. And it's this. That for all the wrestling we do with our own sin and, for the, and the sin of others and the effects of the sin, the sin of others around us, and all of that exhaustion and all that stuff that we deal with and all the anxiety in our own souls because of comparison, which is a level of sin apparent in our life, and for all of the, the restlessness that we do with whether or not we're going to be able to maintain our job, maybe because of something that's happening there, but, but, but maybe because of unjust structures and whatever else it might be. For all of the things that weigh us down in this life, maybe where a child is and, and how they're doing and, and the weight that we take upon ourselves, for all of the, the worry that we have going on in our lives, that we might lose all that we've, we've accumulated up until this point, for all the worry of what relationships are, are, are the relationships we're in and, and the effect that they're having on us for all of that, Jesus offers this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If you're struggling with sin, God will give you rest. If you're struggling with someone else's sin and the effects of their sin, God can give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Has anybody ever been encouraged by this verse before? Like, hey, this isn't almost everybody. Although some of us are like, I think it's rhetorical. Absolutely, but have you ever asked the question, what is his yoke and what is his burden? 
So I think we like to comfort ourselves that there's rest available. But for a lot of us, we go, we don't quite understand what his yoke is. A yoke, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, would be the type of apparatus that would be attached between two oxen so that could carry an even heavier load. It's like, wait, that doesn't sound like rest. (laughs) You mean a yoke that you pair up with somebody else so that you can actually do more work? Yes. Yes, this is what Jesus was referring to. And he's saying, take my yoke upon you. And we go, come on. If it sounds like rest, I'm in. And yet for a lot of us, we don't know what his yoke is. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yes, God, for my yoke. Okay, what is that? Is easy. And my burden? What is his burden? I think for a lot of us, we're struggling with the sin and the effects of sin because that's what the whole story is about. Is that we are either finding ourselves in God's grace and mercy or we are struggling with our sin or the effects of somebody else's sin. Again, we can't divorce these words and these verses from verses and context in which they're found. See, this whole narrative, Jesus is, is, is actually talking to God. And he starts to talk to him and he says, at that time, Jesus said, if you could put up verse 25, he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children, us. Yes, Father, for you were pleased to do, for this is what you were pleased to do. But then he goes from like talking to his father and there's no verses in between. There's no chapter breaks. There's no like, there's no like, title titles that we sometimes find in our bible that's all modern editions right he goes from talking to his father and he starts talking to his followers and then he starts talking to his followers about his father all things have been committed to me by my father no one knows the son except the father no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him so he goes from talking to his father and then talking to his followers about his father And then he goes into, come to me. All you are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You see, at the center of our universe is a relationship. You know, before the world was created, God is saying, let us create. Who is he talking about? He's talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. At the center of our universe, is a relationship. And in this passage, as we feel weary and we feel burdened and we feel like, man, I like what how does this relate? How do how do I relate to the world that is around? In all of this, Jesus starts talking to his father and then brings the audience, his followers, the crowd, into this conversation and says, I am inviting you into this relationship that I have with the Father. Take my yoke upon you directly refers to bringing the people that are listening into this relationship that God has with his Father. And when we begin to understand this and we hear, take my yoke upon you, what Jesus is saying throughout this passage is, take this relationship I have with my Father upon you and you will find rest for your souls. In fact, you can accomplish way more if you take this yoke upon you. For I'm gentle, humble in heart, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is the burden? The yoke is being brought into relationship with God and and relationship, the the relationship that Jesus has with the Father. For I I am in the Father and the Father is in me. 
No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. He's inviting us into that relationship, but the burden is his burden to please the Father. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. Yes, Father, my, I, I speak nothing but what I hear from the Father. The yoke that Jesus has for us is that he is inviting us into the relationship that he has with the Father. The burden he has for us is his desire to please the Father. Now, this is encouraging for us today because it gives us a little bit more idea when we are weary, when we are burdened, when we are restless, what we need to do is we need to walk back into relationship with the Father. We need to walk back into this relationship that, that, that is held at the center of the universe, that we need to actually walk back into what God has for us. And then what do we need to do? Seek to please the Father. Now, why is this important in terms of discipline? Why is this important in terms of what we were talking about for the first half of this message? Because it's funny, when we're dealing with the punishment and the effects of sin around us, our temptation is to run from the Father. Our temptation is to take the weight of our sin upon ourselves and run and make a way before us that we cannot make for ourselves. And yet Jesus is saying, listen, the way to proper relationship with God is to find ourselves in relationship with him. You realize that one of the best ways that we appease the Father is try to please the Father. For so many of us, we're so afraid of displeasing God that we run from him and we actually run into sin. And one of the things that I love to say is that just because you're running from sin doesn't mean you're running in the direction of God. It might just mean that you're running in the direction of another sin. Out of the tiredness of the sin around you, you might just be running to some other sin, a coping mechanism to deal with this sin that is directly in your life. But when you are running in the direction of the Father and seeking to please Him, this is how you run from the effects of sin. This is how you actually run from the effects of sin. And this is how you actually break that curse, so to speak, that so many of us are afraid that maybe we have in our lives, or how, do I, how can I not break my parents' you know, habits that I've just picked up and all the rest? What we begin to see is that Jesus, in inviting us into a relationship with the Father, says, take this yoke upon you and the burden of pleasing God, and it will release you from the effects of sin for the rest of your life. So both verse 34 in Exodus, which is, the verse most quoted in the Bible by the Bible. And one of the verses that we love to quote all, all around are linked in this. So that if we accept our identity as children of God and run in that direction, he will actually forgive us. He will set us free. And the bondage that we think is on us will actually fall away. And we'll actually be able to step into all that God has for us. Let's pray. If you're here today and maybe all of this is heady and it's a lot for you and maybe you're trying to make sense of it but this idea that Jesus came to pay the price for our sins is something that you're going I need that because our world has ways to deal with the effects of sin our world has ways of taking this upon themselves but our father says hey just accept what Jesus has done for you and you will be saved so if you're here today you want to make a decision to follow Jesus and you're going, you know what, I want to break whatever curse I feel is on my life. All you have to do is step into relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. If that's you today and you want to make that decision to follow Jesus, every head bowed and eye closed, can you just raise a hand? I want to know who I'm praying for. You just say, hey, that's me. I, I, I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. Thank you. Can we pray? 
Jesus, I thank you for the, the way that you made for us, the price that you paid for us. And that God, we can trust this price that Jesus paid for us to bring us in relationship with you. Jesus, I pray for anybody making that decision this morning that they would understand that you love them extensively, that you love them endlessly. And may they understand that they can walk in this relationship with you. In Jesus' name. And for those of us that are struggling with the idea of discipline in our lives, or maybe we're just feeling like this world around us is too much to bear at times, and you want to walk and you want to take on the yoke of Christ and you want to take on his burden. You want to walk into a relationship with the Father. You want, to, you want to break the effects of sin in your life, but you need to do it from a place of abiding in Christ. If that's you today, with every head bowed and eye closed, could you just raise a hand? I want to know who I'm praying for. Just going, you know what? I need to, I need to step into this relationship even more. I need, to, I need to cast these worries off of me. I need to stop worrying about people around me or thinking. I need, to, I need to stop worrying about the effects of someone else's sin on my soul walk in a relationship with the Father. If that's you today, just raise a hand. Yeah. Jesus, I thank you for every hand that's raised in this room. And so is mine. Because it's easy to sometimes think that somehow you've been placed behind the eight ball in life or somehow the effects of sin are way too difficult to deal with. And yet, God, you provide a way. Provide a way through your Son, Jesus Christ. You provide a way into this this relationship that exists at the center of the universe. You actually provided a way for us to, to find ourselves in the middle of that. The love that you have for the Son, the Son's love for the Spirit, the Spirit's love for you. God, we get to find ourselves in the middle of that. And God, right now, as we take upon your yoke that is easy and your burden, which is just, just seeking to please you as our Father, as children of you. God, I pray that you would release us from the expectations and the pressures and the sin that so easily entangles us sometimes we have placed upon ourselves the yoke that we too readily choose in the morning each day. God, we choose to turn to you and receive your yoke. Pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.